lot of you obviously came tonight a little bit loud. That's a little bit loud. Or is it just me? It's a little bit loud. Um, a lot of you obviously came tonight uh, because it's church. It's Sunday, and we get together, and we devote it to the fellowship of the saints. And then I know that I put out a message uh, a little while ago just saying that t- today's going to be an important Sunday for us where we just want to announce something important or speak about something important. Uh, Rico said that he couldn't sleep all weekend. He was so nervous. So I just want to assure you, no one's being stepped down off of leadership. This is not a, <laughs> this is not a bad announcement. Um, these are good things to process, but they are things to process for us as a congregation nonetheless. So <coughs> today is going to be a little bit of a different message. Um, I did prepare. I've got my notes in front of me, but they are messy notes in a sense. Uh, Because what I'd love is to, as much as I can, just share out of my heart just some things that I'm feeling and we are feeling as elders for us as a congregation, and also just a couple of practical shifts that's going to happen in the congregation that we want to make you aware of. So it's always good to keep people a little bit curious, because then if if I've got a boring preach, then you still listen, because there's something interesting towards the end. But you know, in preparing uh, for today, obviously, um, there is something in my heart that I want to share. I was thinking this afternoon, uh, just before coming here, we are driving through from Wellington at the moment because we're building an extra room at our house and because uh, we're getting a new little girl and there's no space in the house. So we're building an extra room and it's been a long process. So we've been driving back and forth from Wellington and this afternoon around the, the uh, lunch table with my in-laws. We always have good lunch there, so if it looks like it, it is that way. I had a good lunch. <laughs> but we, we had lunch, and I just, while we were speaking, I was reminded of a, a testimony of a friend of mine that told me this maybe about three weeks ago. Uh, he, he heard about an outreach with Andrew, a trip with Andrew Selye, who leads Josh Jen. They are taking a, a team to Israel in a bit, um, in a couple of months. I'm not even sure. I think somewhere towards the end of the year. Oh, firstly, Dalvin and Yita, congrats, eh? Congrats on the... <laughs> Saw you there at the back. Your commitment level last week was not great, I must say. We did congratulate you, but you weren't here to receive it. So congratulations on the engagement. <laughs> um, but anyway, we're sitting around the lunch table, and I was just reminded, this friend of mine, he... Uh, told me a while ago, he just, he just testified to me, he leads one of the Josh chains, and he said uh, that he heard about this Israel outreach, and he had such a desire to go with, but they don't have the funds to actually do it. And he said, yes, it's not just me that wants to go, it's also my wife. And so he just went in his private time with the Lord, and he said, Lord, if it's your will, just please provide the money that's needed for me for this trip. Now, I'm not even going to say because it's a large amount. Uh, if you think it's, it's a total trip for two people to Israel, it's, it's a large amount. And he mentioned a specific amount by name, just specific to the Lord. Lord, it would be great if I get this amount of money so that we can go, my wife and I. And a week or two later, someone in the church comes to him without knowing this. He didn't tell his wife this. He just prayed this before the Lord. And the guy said, he just felt the Lord laying on his heart that he must give him a, a sum of money. And it was exactly the sum of money that he asked the Lord for, to be able to go to Israel. Now he's sitting and he's saying, shucks, there's so many things I can use this money for. <laughs> but I did pray, Lord, give me this exact amount for this trip. And the Lord gave it to him. And so now they've, they've applied and we're trusting that they're going to go on this trip. And it's so beautiful how God actually, when he comes and he has a relationship with us, how he's involved in the intricacies of our lives. 
And the Bible says that he, he blesses us. No? He's, a, he's a good God. He blesses us. He does something like that that he doesn't have to do. He's given us himself on the cross. He has to do nothing else for us. He doesn't owe us anything. But God then comes into our lives and he gives us good things. And if you're sitting here, there are probably blessings that you can count in your life that are from the hand of God. I count the fact that I'm married to a wonderful wife. That is an absolute miracle because I, yeah, if you knew me a couple of years ago, like I did not deserve my wife. Do still, I still don't. She makes wonderful food. That's great. <laughs> and, uh, and God has blessed us with two children and another one on the way. And, and I always had this sort of mentality that uh, when my wife fell pregnant, I, I had this feeling that something was going to go wrong. I don't know why. It was just like, if, it go, if it's going to go wrong, it's going to go wrong with me. That's what I felt like. And then it turned out that we not only had one child, but twins, which is something I prayed for. I said, Lord, please give us twins. And then we got twins. And uh, my wife wanted to kill me because she said I'm not allowed to pray it, but I did keep on praying it. <laughs> and God blessed us. And so, so God does that in our lives. He blesses us super abundantly. He actually does that. But then if I think back on my Christian journey, there are also moments. So those are the high moments. But I can tell you that I also remember the low moments of my Christianity where I cried out to God and I said, Lord, I cannot imagine that I can get through this. This is incredibly difficult. Why are you putting me through these difficult situations? And it is the same God. It's the same God that blesses. It's the same God that many times also takes away. You know that song we sing, you give and take away. If I sing it now, the church will we'll have a Gideon revival. The church will shrink by about 50% if I try and sing. But you give and take away. That is, that is our God. And I just thought, um, this is a couple, of, a couple of the low points I'd like to, you know, preachers many times, they tell the power testimonies of their lives. If you've gotten to know me, I more like to tell the low points of my life. So I feel that's a little bit more encouraging. But I remember once as a student, just God working in my life and, and pointing at areas of character deficiencies in me. And that was so incredibly difficult for me to handle. And it's like God would not relent. I was just so aware of brokenness and insecurity in myself. And it was like every time I came to God, He would press on that thing. And He would put me in circumstances where my insecurities would come out. Anyone relate to that? Okay, some insecure people here. Hallelujah. <laughs> and um, I remember sitting around a dinner table with a friend of mine who now is married to a missionary in Japan. Like God does wonderful things. But at that stage, both of us were going through such a tough time with the Lord. And both of us sat crying in a restaurant, just saying, it's so difficult being a Christian. <laughs> and I will never forget that moment. People probably thought we were breaking up in the restaurant. It was just a friend. <laughs> but I was just crying because it, it was so difficult to be a Christian. And so the blessing and the difficulties. I remember when Carla and I uh, started vibing, that's what people say nowadays, <laughs> we started vibing, <laughs> and is that wrong? What do you say nowadays? <laughs> it's fine. We started vibing, and at one stage, I was so in love with her, but in my Christian walk at that stage, I was not in a great place. I was on eldership. I, I lived in Sunningdale, and it was a back and forth to try and get to know her. The eldership team that I was on at that stage was not a healthy one. Uh, where sometimes in church that actually happens. We strive for health. We strive to do things according to the Bible. But sometimes things come in there and it needs to be rectified. Now, we were in a difficult space as an eldership team. I was disillusioned with ministry. 
to an extent disillusioned with God because He'd given me this promise of ministry, and now I'm in ministry, and it sucks. And now I've got this girl, and I'm pursuing, and I'm, I'm so in love with her, and I drove through to her one day, and I told her that I liked her. I just wanted to get it off my chest. Like, I like you. And her answer to me, some of you would have heard this, she said, thank you, but you're an elder. <laughs> Meaning, no, leave me alone, you're an elder. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny now, but that was one of the most difficult times in my life, because eldership was something that God actually called me to. Standing here is not because it's a salary earned, it's because I, I believe it's a calling on my life that God has put there. If I don't get a salary for this, I need to keep doing what I'm doing because it's a calling of God. It's not a job. And it, I was at such a bad place then. And then the girl that I knew I wanted to marry, if she would marry me, tells me, sorry, I'm not going to go for this because of this thing, eldership. And that was an incredibly difficult time. I remember then having to go preach that Sunday evening in Durbanville after she had told me this the Saturday evening. The whole Sunday morning, I was just crying the whole time, saying, Lord, I don't want to be an elder anymore. I want this girl rather. <laughs> it was costly for me. And I had to preach. And through the whole preach, I just sat there. I actually pulled in a chair. I couldn't even stand. I just sat crying throughout the whole preach. And I think people thought I was so holy. I was just heartbroken. <laughs> I was just heartbroken. It was probably the most difficult sermon I ever had to preach in my life because it was just, I was like in no space. And I'm not the best person preparing in advance. I had to prepare the Sunday while I was crying the whole day. So it was not great. And then finally, I remember, I'm just sharing some of these low points. Um, I remember a, a couple of years ago, some of you were part of the church, but I went through a discipline uh, process in the church. And that was difficult. Uh, that was really difficult. Not repenting. Repenting before the church was incredibly difficult. I had to do that a couple of times. Repent over Zoom because it was COVID. Repent in front of the, of the church. Repent in front of the Josh Chen elders. Have a video of you repenting in front of four, five thousand people sent out to all of Josh Chen. It was incredibly difficult. But the most difficult part was when I had to open up my entire history to my wife. Who up until that point, I thought that I'd shared most of it, at least enough. But God kept putting his finger on, on it and saying, no, no, you need to share everything. Bring everything into the light, all of your past into the light with your spouse. And that was the most, probably one of the most difficult times of my life, sitting in front of her and knowing how much it was going to hurt her, knowing how much I've messed up as a Christian, as an elder, how much I've messed up, and having to open that up to her. And I felt in that moment, like, God, where are you? How is this so difficult, Lord? Why are you taking me through such difficulties? And if you're a Christian for long enough, yes, you will experience the blessing of God, but I'm telling you, you will experience the pain of serving God as well. You will experience the, the difficulty of walking with the king who loves you, yes, but the Bible says in Hebrews 12 that he disciplines those whom he loves, and you will experience the discipline and the hardship of following Jesus. And the church today does not preach this. The message of the church today is only the first one, only the blessing of God, only the favor of God, only the fact that God wants to give you everything that you want. And you know what? There is a measure of truth in that, that God wants to bless us, but the enemy takes truth. He doesn't invent a lie. He takes truth and he perverts it. And I want to say probably in 90, 95% of churches that you walk in today, the message is going to be all about you. 
It's going to be all about you. I read a quote by a well-known Christian. He leads a massive church. He says, this is the message of the church today. God will not give you more than you can handle. If you have a big challenge today, that means you have a big destiny. And that sounds so biblical. You, if you had to read that, you'd probably go like or double. What do you do on tic, not TikTok? What's <laughs> Instagram? Double tap hearts. I don't have Instagram. I don't know what you do. You'd probably go like that. But actually, I want to read you what the Bible says. Because yes, there is the blessing of God. But actually, that's not the way that God works. And I want to just let you into a glimpse of why God actually takes us through challenging things. Why God takes you out of your comfort zone. Because God will not leave you in your comfort zone. If you think you're coming to church because it's comfortable, if you think you're following God because it's nice and comfortable, if you're following the real God, the real Jesus, he's going to take you outside of your comfort zone. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8 to 9. He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction, meaning difficulties we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despised of life itself. Imagine that. I'm despising of life itself. That means it sucks. This is not just I'm having a bad day. I'm despising. Paul, the great apostle, says, I despised of life itself, meaning I want to die. I don't want to be here. This is how difficult it is. But now listen to this. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul is saying, God gave me more than I could handle so that I would learn to rely on him. God is going to take you through times in your life. He's going to take you through difficulties in your life that, that you are going to say, Lord, this is too much. And God is going to say, yes, I know. Yes, I know. Thank goodness you see it now because I need you to rely on me. See, if we live this super blessed, abundant life that we so eagerly chase, then we have no need for God many times because everything is just working out. And what does the Bible teach us so many times? It teaches us, even if you think about wealth, it says that for the rich man, it's so difficult to enter the kingdom of heaven more than for a poor person. Why is that? Because blessing sometimes is not a blessing. <laughs> sometimes it takes you away from God. So this is really, it's a difficult message, but it's at the heart of the gospel that God will even take us through difficult times. He wants to take us out of our comfort zones. And I want to say, in a sense, it is, it's a large part of the gospel. Think about, think about Jesus for a moment. Just think about this. We are working on our house at the moment. The idea is to make it comfortable, right? It's, it's, it's supposed to be a safe zone. It's a place for the kids to play. It's supposed to be a relaxing place. That's, that's what your home is supposed to be. And we're getting there. That's why we're spending money. We, we're trying to make it as nice as possible for ourselves. And um, at the moment, I'm experiencing somewhat of a discomfort not being in my own home and going somewhere else. And it sucks. I think Carla's cried at least once a week for the last two weeks because it's uncomfortable and we've got kids and it's, ugh, it's... Grandma keeps giving them chocolate and they don't want to sleep. And it's like, it's so great, but it's also so difficult at the same time because I'm not within my comfort zone, right? Now, if I think of how much of a comfort zone shift that is, actually it's not much. They live in a lovely house in Wellington. 
grandma and grandpa are there, the fire's burning all day, they love their grandchildren to bits, but still for me that's difficult. Now think of this, think of how comfortable heaven must be. How comfortable must heaven be? Everything is there. There's perfect unity. There's no fighting. It's, there's perfect unity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is perfect unity. There is no sickness, no disease. It is the ultimate comfort zone. And then Jesus says, I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to purposely take myself out of my comfort zone, put myself on earth, which is uncomfortable, it's full of suffering, it is the God of this world rules it. Jesus said, I'm going to put myself there, not going to put myself there as an angel or as God, I'm going to put myself there as a mere human being. And then he says, not even that, but I'm going to die the most horrible death that could be died for their sake. Jesus said, I'm willing to place myself at an inconvenience for your sake. And we struggle with that as Christians. All we chase is convenience. All we chase is comfort. But the thing that Jesus modeled for us is, my discomfort brought you comfort. That's what Jesus modeled to us. And we struggle. We want to say, oh Lord, please, more of the good things. (laughs) But Jesus, you know what Jesus, I think what he would say to us is, what if I need bad things for you so that you can help others even? I need to take you through the difficulties. Listen to this. This is said in John 12, um, close to when Jesus was going to die on the cross. So this is Jesus almost reflecting on what is going to happen on the cross. He says, John 12, 24 to 26, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life, uh, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will be my servants also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, if you want to live the life that I'm living, if you want to live this Christian life, then the things that you think are comfortable, you must be willing to die to those things. And he says, unless you die to a life of comfort and a life of convenience and say, God, anything for your sake, I lay everything down for your sake, come and do what you want. That is what dying is. If you do that, it is like wheat that falls to the ground, dies but then it produces harvest. That's what a seed does. If you want a seed to become a tree and to bear fruit, that seed first needs to die. It needs to be put in the ground and it needs to die. I want to say that what God will do in your life as a Christian is he will look at you and yes, he will give you comfort. I'm not saying he's going to make your life suck around every corner. But he is going to come into areas of your life and he is going to say, this thing I need, surrender to me. This area, I, I need you to die to this area, to say, Lord, your will be done and not mine, so that I can bring fruit through that area. That's what he wants to actually do. So God is going to take all of us out of, outside of our comfort zones at, at, some, at some stage, right? Amen? <laughs> And we need to be okay with that and celebrate that and say, God, you do it for a good reason. 
You do it for a good reason. Um, he is definitely going to do this. So, firstly, obviously, this message that I want to share, I, I said I, I want to try and speak out of my heart. I feel like I'm preaching a little bit too much, but what I want to say is I think that we as a congregation, as people, as Christians, we need to be a robust people to say, Lord, whatever you want to do through us, we are willing to do that. And that is going to be the fight for a healthy church. Because, you know, I'm, I'm just reflecting on us as a congregation a little bit. And some of you were part of AM in the way beginning days. Anyone that was part of AM, Ruan was there. Ruan's still part of AM. <laughs> We're trying to win him over to the dark side. It's not dark yet, but... <laughs> but some of you were there, and we met in this dodgy hall called Van der Stel, sport, It's Van der Stel Sport Grounds. Yes, it was dodgy. If you walked into the storeroom... Uh, between the hall and the storeroom, and you looked up, you could basically see the sun. There was this massive crack in the storeroom, and all of our things, and then when it would rain, we'd have to go there because our sound equipment would get wet, and some Sunday mornings we would get there, and there would literally be old hot dogs and beer bottles everywhere in the hall. Or we would get there, and they would have draped it for a wedding, and it was difficult, but we as a church had to say, you know what, it's not about our comfort. Everyone is jumping in. We are robust Christians. We're going to give ourselves to this thing. And the church flourished through that. And then when we planted PM, initially we had to move four times. And it was difficult. But we were like, come on, we don't care. It's not our lives. It's not about our comfort. I'm not coming to church because it's comfortable. I'm coming because God has added me here. Does that make sense? Like God has added me here. I'm giving myself for that reason. And I'm willing to do whatever because I'm advancing the kingdom with these people. And the difficulty for me is the larger we've grown, and we've, we've grown, we've grown. Um, the other day, we started in 2020, six weeks before COVID. So just remember, there was a little bit of COVID thrown in the mix with all of this church planting. 2020, we started with 40 people. The other day, we were over 400 people. That's in three years with COVID, that's how much percent growth? I don't know. Clever people, how much is that? <laughs> that's a lot. Come on. <laughs> You feel? A thousand percent growth. It's a thousand percent growth. But you know what? The larger we grow and the more slick we become, we've got our worship teams, we've got our sound, we know how to do our announcements. The eldership team is growing very slowly, very, very slowly, but it's growing and, and everything becomes slick. And the more we do that, the more you can just come to church and be a comfortable Christian. Because nothing's asked of me. There aren't so many gaps to fill anymore. There aren't chairs to set up because there's pews and everything's ready. The sound is ready. Like I can just, it's so easy to just come to church, listen to a message and leave and not be challenged and, and, and be expected to actually do something with what I've been learned. And God is not going to come to us as Stellenbosch PM one day and say, well done on the fact that you had so many people. He's going to say, well done for lives laid down. God is not interested in the numbers. The only reason he's interested in the numbers is if it's about salvation and people really growing in the Lord. If we are de-inflating ourselves and almost becoming like a fat Christian, like we, we just, we're just enjoying and we're eating and we're eating and we're eating, then one day when we as a church are going to stand before God, he's not going to be happy with, with us. He's going to say there was too much comfort. There was too much doing it for yourself. There was not enough laying down of your life. Too much living within your comfort zone. 
And I want to just challenge us today to say, come on, Staley's PM. If we are not careful, we are slowly but surely going to fall into a place of comfort with our Christianity. Where it's just so easy. The church maintains us. The vibe maintains us. The people maintain us. But we are not robust in saying, Lord, whatever you want to do, we, we are willing to do it. Okay, anyway, this was a long setup just to announce something to you guys. Let it rain. <laughs> um, so, in the, in the last three and a half years, I think we've moved four times as a congregation, right? And, um, yes, you guys are looking at me like <laughs> you really want to know. But I think, we've, I think we've moved, how many times have we moved? Just help me. We moved from Van der Stel, we moved to Holmes, <laughs> but then we moved to Ska- Reformed, Scares, and then yeah. And then at one stage we did Reformed and Scares. We sort of bounced between the two. So we've moved three or four times, and I actually loved that because it meant that everyone had to chip in and everyone knew Christianity cost you something. If I want to come to church, I'm going to have to jump in, and it's not going to be comfortable. Anyway, I'm just going to say it, but uh, we have been processing this as elders, and actually what we're feeling to do is for the 4 p.m. service, for this p.m. service, we are feeling to move this to a different venue uh, soonish. okay? I don't know about the reaction. <laughs> I'll explain it to you now. Um, so... Anyway, this is just me speaking now. This is not a preach. Don't correct me afterwards, okay? This is just me speaking. But um, we've, yes, we, since the church has grown, this has been a really, like we've always been playing catch up with Staley's PM. It's sort of grown quicker than we expected and we've always had to try and figure out like what's next and how do we do this and, and it's been quite difficult. So the idea was never to necessarily go to two services, but we ended up with a 4 p.m. and a 6 p.m. service. And it's been great, but it's never been the ideal of how we actually wanted it. We always wanted to either be together, or I'll explain this now, in Josh Chen, we rather plant out new churches. We don't do services. This is the only congregation within the entire Josh Chen that does services. And I'll explain why we've done it and why I think slowly but surely we need to look at changing that now. Um, so we did that, and then a couple of months ago, we started looking out just for a different venue because we thought... We'd love to just get everyone back together. And so um, we were able to get to Rhenish School. That's actually where we're moving. I'm going to explain it to you now. Um, <laughs> but um, we were able to get to Rhenish, and we signed a contract with them that as soon as there's a church that meets there currently, as soon as they move out, uh, we are going to actually be able to move into an 800-seat hall, which is massive. So there's space for a coffee shop at the back. There's space for a mom's room in there. There's, there's lots of space. We'd be able to move in there and potentially be together as one church again. But in a big sense, like I don't want to move here because this is a doorway, I think, into, into the town, into the university. So I don't think we'll ever want to move here if we don't have to. But we've just been wrestling with this. We've got a signed contract. But that church is probably only moving in about a year's time. So that's probably on the horizon for all of us. We don't know where God is going to lead us, but that might happen. And um, anyway, then start kept speaking to Renish, and there's been such favor of God there. The, the school has been amazing. They've opened up their doors to us. The principal um, is just, they're literally just opening the doors and saying, how can we help you? How can we make this work for you? Which is incredible in Stellenbosch. 
doesn't work like this. And when we spoke to them, they said they've got a, a, a small hall. It's about a 250-seat hall. It's got kids' facilities. It's nice to see central in town. It's actually great. But they said, we can open this up to you in the evenings if you'd like this. And um, anyway, so that's, and we said, yeah, please, we'd actually like to go for that. So we've been processing that. And the idea would be at this stage for the 6 p.m. service to stay here and for the 4 p.m. service to move to Rhenish from the 30th of July. So that's in about two months' time. So we've still got effectively for this service, everyone that's here at the moment, we've effectively got about eight Sundays left here before we move over to Rhenish. Okay, elders, you must jump in here if you want. So I want to just explain why I think we need to do this. So firstly, we've been doing services, and the problem with services is in Joshin, we actually really believe in being a family as much as possible, being a spiritual family. And that means when you don't come to church, we want to know that you don't come to church. We don't want this to be a church where you walk in and walk out and nobody actually knows. But the problem with services is if you're not at the 4 p.m. service, you could maybe have been at the 6 p.m. service. So we never know. There's never a sense of a family of, of coherence. Um, no, not coherence. What, what would I say? Um, oh, of identity in a sense that, that we come together and if you're not here, we know that you're not here for whatever reason and we can love you through that if anything's happened to you. So within Josh Jane, normally if we do an AM and a PM like we did here, we make it two churches and not two services for that reason, for pastoral reasons, so that we can follow up. Communities can be together in one congregation and not bounce between two services. Are you following me here? Okay. So that's one of the big things. And I think for 4 p.m., for everyone sitting here, I think this will be a really good shift. Because um, not to think of the practical things, but when we moved in here, when we started with the 4 p.m. service, I must admit, this service was sometimes a little bit difficult to lead. You'd come to 6 p.m., and there would just be a barrage of people rushing in here, and there'd be a lot of energy and then you'd come here and you'd be like, oh, God, help us find our feet here. And I, I praise God because as the months have gone on, there has been such life in this group of people. It's been amazing to witness. And sometimes, it was sometimes the other way around that, that afterwards people would hear that God came in the 6 p.m. service and he did so much and 4 p.m. people would be like, oh, but what about us? I know. <laughs> and there's been times now where it's been flipped around where there's been such life of God in the 4 p.m. service that I think the 6 p.m. has felt like, shucks, we missed out. And, but that's been a growth. But I just feel like there's more for us as a group. And one of the big things that's really going to help us is if the time limit is taken off. If we can come and we stay as long as God wants us to stay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I mean, we do try and keep to an hour and a half or to two hours, and we'll always try and do that. But sometimes God just breaks out, and you want the option to just keep worshiping if God wants to, to be there, and God's presence is there. You know, I've, oh man, I'm just speaking out of my heart. I've got five minutes, then I need to land, because I did say we'll keep it to an hour and a half today. But I don't know if you guys followed, there was an Asbury revival a while ago at, at a town in wherever, London, Asbury, wherever that is. <laughs> the town is called Asbury. <laughs> And I just thought, we've had moments in this church that if we could stay as long as we want, we would have been here for weeks. <laughs> I know it. It's been months ago. We haven't had, like, there's these waves of God that has come through us. There really been some times where, I remember when we were one together at some stage, 
we'd worship afterwards until 9, 9.30 at night and say, okay, now we need to lock this venue. And there'd still be 100, 150 people worshiping in here. And I've just had such a longing, like, Lord, we don't want these limits on us. We want to be able to just let you come and do whatever you want to come and do. So, so we're feeling that if we can get the 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. in different venues, that is going to help significantly. Also, 6 p.m. is under pressure because we normally end late, right? Because we always start late because we're a charismatic church, and then we end late as well because we're a charismatic church. And it's just going to take pressure off of the 6 p.m. service so that they can come in earlier, prepare themselves, the worship team can prepare their hearts. Um, for kids' facilities, it's going to be much better there, which is great because we've, we've gotten a few families that have, that have um, come to us, and it's going to be great on that side. And then also... I'm just going to drop it here, but I, I really have a desire that at some stage God would allow us to plant an Afrikaans congregation in Stalys. It's a big desire of mine. No one else has to be excited with me. I'm excited for it. <laughs> and <laughs> we've had a few of our 6 p.m. services that have been really full, that it's, it's just been packed, but it's sort of up and down, but our venue gets really packed sometimes at 6 p.m., and if we are able to move this group to a different venue, then we've always got the option at a later stage to start another 4 p.m. service, potentially an Afrikaans thing at a later stage when God moves us in that direction. So there's just plenty of opportunities that this um, opens us to us. I feel like I need to ask if there's any questions, but, um, but I'm going to just land with this. This is actually going to cost us to do this. It's not just an easy move. The primary reason is it doesn't actually make sense logistically. It's more something we're feeling from the Lord will be good for you all sitting here as a group. I feel there's going to be more that God is going to do in this group if we actually make this move. And for some of you, it's going to cost you because you see your friends afterwards or you jump between services and now you sort of have to pick and it's going to cost the next people as well. But actually financially, it's also going to cost us to do this move. And it doesn't make sense because we've got an AM service that's in one venue in Staley's got a PM service that's here. Now we'll have a different PM service in a different venue, three venues. And what that effectively means is until we can move into a different venue when AM and PM will be together, which is probably in a year's time, we're going to need three sound systems, three pairs of mics, three keyboards, three pairs of flags, three of everything, like urns, all of those things. So in a big sense, this is actually going to cost us financially. And I want to ask you as a church, I really want to ask you to consider investing into this move financially as well. And I think when we do this, this is, this is above our tithe. This is not saying, cool, I'll take my tithe, I'll, I'll pay it in here. And we don't ask people who are not part of this church to pay a tithe. We say, if, you, if you're part of us, then we encourage you to give a tenth of your income. For visitors, there's no obligation to give. But, um, but for those of us who are part here, I want to actually ask you if you are willing to to invest with us to make this move possible. I don't know if we've got that slide or we'll post it up. Okay. So we've got, a, um, we've got a building fund there. We'll post it on the WhatsApp groups there. But um, I want to ask you to, to go pray about it and then invest money into this. I don't even want to say how much it's going to cost us because it's going to cost us quite a lot. The sound system is expensive, actually. Um, <laughs> But it helps us. Like sometimes we invest money into something, but it, it, it helps us advance God's kingdom. And so God is able to provide it, but he also asks us as his, as his saints to invest into this thing financially. So it's going to cost us. 
Carla and I haven't prayed about this, but we are going to give, and we don't have money to give at the moment. Like, we don't have money. We, this building project is taking so much more money than we anticipated. We are broke. If I say broke, we are broke, okay? We're not going on holiday over December because we, we, we decided it's, it's too financially taxing for us at the moment. We spoke to her parents and said, we can't come with you. We are finished and klar at the moment, financially. But I believe this is something of God, and therefore we are going to make ourselves more broke. Okay? We are going to invest into this, and we are going to invest that it hurts, because we want to set an example to you guys. And I know for the rest of the elders, this is a no-brainer. We are not saying, please, you give, we're just going to pick the fruit. As elders, as deacons, we are going to be the first ones to say, we are investing into this thing. So I want to ask you to come before the Lord, pray, and invest whatever you see in your heart that you can give. Be sacrificial with your giving. Let it hurt. It is an, it's an offering to the Lord when we do this because it's advancing His kingdom. I'm going to read you this, and then I'm really going to end because we need to end. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 to 7. This is one church giving money to another. This was not speaking about the tithe. Paul says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully, meaning if you give, God sees it. We do it in secret. We don't do it for others, but he sees it, and he blesses even that. Then he says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. You are under no compulsion to give. And I don't want you to give reluctantly. He says, for God loves a cheerful giver. So I'm going to ask you, please go pray about this and decide in your own heart what you are able to give. If it's only a little, then you give only a little. But we want to give that it hurts. Because I think this is something from God, and we've got two months to make it work. So we're picking this battle.